Let me pray and then we'll jump into it. God, we're so thankful for these spaces and moments in life. They're fleeting. And I know I myself take them for granted where we can kind of like break free of all the clutter and all the drama and all the busyness and uh, just focus and listen for you. And that's what we need. We don't need me. (laughs) You know how we don't need me. And we don't need more of ourselves. We just need more of you. I pray that you just speak to us through your words. We know that you promise that your word does not go out and return void, and we need it to do work in our hearts and our lives this morning. We're desperate for more of you, so speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, sometimes somebody can come in and their tone can just kill your vibe. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that in life? Don't look at the person next to you while you're con- contemplating that very rhetorical question. Somebody's tone can just... I, I want to jump into a passage found in Mark chapter 8 and 31 to the end of the chapters. 38, I think, is the end. It's just a couple verses uh, from Jesus as he's preparing the disciples for what's going to happen to him on the cross and the resurrection if you want to follow along, I'm going to read it here in a second. You can follow along in your Bible, or I use Version Bible app on my phone. It's encouraged to use your phone here in church. Or if you want a paper Bible, because I like to write things in my Bible, we'll give you one. We have a bunch of them. We'd be glad to give you one. I want to read to you this section of verses, and then I want to just talk a little bit about um, Jesus and kind of what he's telling us and how he's preparing us, uh, preparing the disciples and, and by default preparing us for what life may throw us. It says this in Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, And that he must be killed, and after, you're like, right now, it should be hitting you like, oh man, it's kind of a bummer, right? Like, it's a little harsh. That he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, who, by the way, had just previously called, like, took his shot and made it, like, threw up a three-pointer from way deep when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He's like, the Messiah, and they got it all right. Like, Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. Like, here he's about to get it so wrong. So if you're one of those people like who you sometimes get it right and then epically get it wrong, you say the right thing one minute and then the next minute you're like, why did those words come out of my mouth? What's wrong with me? Like, you're in good company. Peter's right there with you. Because like right now what he does is he goes, pulls Jesus aside, which might be like, Okay, when you're pulling Jesus aside, like, you probably, like, check yourself, Peter, before you wreck yourself. And uh, he, he's pulled, and he said, and he's, Jesus, um, sorry, I lost my place. He spoke plainly. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's a crazy turn of events. Way to go, Peter. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, what we never want to hear from Jesus to us. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
You do, and I fall into that trap so often. Maybe you fall into that too. Like, what, what I'm concerned about, my whole world seems to start to revolve around the right here and the right now. My attention gets completely absorbed in the problem I'm facing today or the problem I'm anticipating tomorrow or the mess that I created yesterday. That's where like, all, and like right here out of the beginning, Jesus is speaking plainly and preparing his disciples. That just means his, his students, his followers. That's the, the easy definition for what disciple means. He's preparing them for what's about to happen. Like they're gonna lose him. Their hearts are gonna be filled with grief. Their minds are gonna be cluttered with confusion. They aren't going to understand completely what's going down. They're going to be driven by fear, like not faith. This is all about to be what's going to happen to them. Jesus lovingly and caringly is preparing them for this. And right here is like a rebuke. And sometimes I need that. It sounds harsh, but sometimes I need the reminder, like this isn't it. This isn't, it's not just about what you see today, what you're ashamed of yesterday, or what you fear tomorrow. God's doing something bigger. Maybe that's the only reason he got you here this morning is for you to hear that reminder. Like your life may be a mess, but God promises to be with you in it, to work in the middle of that stuff and draw good out of it for you. So be encouraged if all of your attention has been focused on what surrounds you and and you've been struggling with the anxiety that comes. I get that. I deal with it. I feel it. I've been there. Like, God's always doing something bigger, more. But let's go on. That's not even the sermon. He says, he, he called the crowd to him. And with his disciples, it's like Jesus wanted everybody to hear this part. This is why this is the part we're going to talk about this morning. Like bring them in close. I got something really important to say and I don't want you to miss it. He brings them all in and he says this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my student, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into the Father's glory with the holy angels. Sounds Harsh, doesn't it? In fact, when I was researching this, a commentator after commentator, preacher after preacher, kind of gave that whole same vibe off. Like, man, these are really heavy, difficult words of Jesus. Sounds harsh. Sounds harsh. But sometimes I think it's, it's not necessarily that harsh because what we do in life is we learn to infer into what we hear. We hear what we anticipate hearing. I don't know if that makes sense to you, like, but, but like you probably do it at home, right? Like you learn to anticipate something 
And then that's what you hear when you misinterpret a text message and you read tone into it. When you get that email and it's a short, quick email and you read something like anger or they're upset with you or you read that into the email. What you're doing is you're anticipating something and then you're hearing what you anticipate. We do this with people all the time, right? Like I'm grabbing some ice cream and a spoon from the freezer and I hear like, don't eat the ice cream. And what I anticipate is what I hear. I hear she's just scolding me or mad or I've been eating too much ice cream. She doesn't want me to have the comfort that I have been thinking about all day. You know, like I hear what I anticipate, but that's not true. Like my loving wife is probably, if I'm not just anticipating tone and reading into it, if I'm not inferring into what I hear, she's really just concerned about my health because it is true. I put Way too much ice cream away. Way too much ice cream. I do. We do it with work and relationships. We anticipate and we hear what we anticipate. You hear bitterness and anger from people you live with even when they're not angry or bitter because you're anticipating that feeling. We experience this in our relationships with people but what may, you may not know is like we we transfer that whole kind of concept into our relationship with God. I kept hearing like this is harsh but important words and I'm like, man, I don't know if it's that harsh because what I'm hearing from Jesus and what I'm learning to anticipate from him is love. Maybe in your relationship with God, you anticipate judgment You come here every day, every Sunday, courageously, and sit there and feel bad. You just feel, you just always feel bad because you anticipate judgment. You anticipate a lecture. You anticipate anger. You anticipate bitterness. And so you hear sometimes very freeing words from God, but all you can think about is how bad you are at at life and how you failed him. You anticipate. Sometimes we anticipate those things and we hear what we anticipate. I think it's because, well, there's, it's com- we're complex creatures, right? And sometimes we anticipate things that aren't really there because it's our own junk. Have you ever been really disappointed in yourself so you anticipate other people being disappointed in you? You drag that into your relationships. You bring that into your relationship with God. You feel like a failure, so you anticipate other people talking to you like you're a failure. You anticipate God seeing you as a failure. Anybody ever feel this? Like, it's just me? Like, you, sometimes it's our own junk. Like, I'm disappointed in myself. I'm angry at myself. I'm frustrated with myself, and so I anticipate that everybody else must be just as angry, just as disappointed, just as frustrated in me as I am, and I infer that into the communication I get from people, I just keep reading it in places that it isn't there. It's not there. Sometimes it comes from our own junk. Sometimes it comes from the training we receive from other people who should have trained us differently. There's some of you that have lived your entire lives without anyone ever meaningful really saying that they're proud of you. Some of you have grown up in homes where all the attention has always been on the one thing you got wrong 
instead of the many things you got right. You've lived with critical people who will not hesitate to point out every little thing that's off from how you look to what you wear to like, I I didn't get that one. Like maybe I should have gotten a little more of that one. A little more of that one might have helped like the wardrobe and the preaching thing, right? Like, but like, you know what I'm saying? You've been trained to anticipate someone always being critical of you. And so you hear it in places it's not. You have, you've been, you've been, you've been made to feel, you've been trained like you're a disappointment, like you can never be good enough. And so now you hear that you're never good enough in places that it's not. Sometimes it's our own junk, but sometimes it's from our development, our childhood, our relationships, just these unhealthy messages being laid on us over and over and over again. And so we learn to anticipate and we, anticip- we hear what we anticipate. And sometimes when, well, most all the time, the fix when that starts to translate into our relationship with God, when you start to anticipate that God is angry at you, that he is disappointed in you, when you anticipate his judgment, when you anticipate that you're not good enough for God, I can never go to church, the walls would fall down, the place would light on fire. When you anticipate that junk, the fix, that kind of makes all the other things fade away. The issue is that we don't get how much God loves you. We don't get it. Because if we understood how much God loves us, what we would learn to anticipate from him is love. I want to just challenge you. These are difficult, challenging words from Jesus, but they are full of love and life. God is not some angry nun with a ruler. (laughs) I should, maybe I should disclaimer this. (laughs) I'm sure there are wonderful nuns that I would love to just put my head on and have them give me a mom hug and they would tell me that God loves me and everything's all right. But you know what I'm talking about? Like that picture that we have, that like God is some sort of like angry nun with a ruler waiting for us to step out of line. And when we step out of line, what God's gonna do is he's gonna smack us with the ruler on the hand and say, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't act that way. Don't. God is not that picture of religion. That's not, it says that, that he demonstrated his love for us at the cross. It's a demonstra- it says that nothing can separate you from his love for you. Go read the book of 1 John where God says of himself that he is love through his inspired word and the penmanship of John. So why don't we anticipate love from him? The more you understand 
the character of this God that we gather and talk about all the time. The more you learn to anticipate good things from this good father. You anticipate love from the designer and the maker of love. You learn to anticipate something different. So if you're hearing these words and you're like, that's harsh, man. Like, I don't know. It's really tough things. I even heard a preacher call him Savage Jesus in this passage. I don't know. Maybe we just need to reorient our lives and our hearts and our souls and just start to anticipate God's love for us laced into whatever he says to us. I want to anticipate his love. But I also want you to understand that love is not butterflies, ice cream, milkshakes, and candy canes all the time. That's not real love, right? Real love is deep. Real love is heavy. Real love has things tied closely to it like grief. Real love means there's going to be days where you cry happy tears and there's gonna be days where you cry really sad and heavy tears. Because real love, it's not just a whimsical feeling. Real love is deep and it's heavy and it's meaningful and it's also what your soul craves. Real love, real love. Real love, it points us in the right direction. Real love can steer us when we're going off course. Real love, doesn't just feed us all the ice cream in the world that we want to eat. Real love sometimes tells us things that maybe I don't just, I don't want to hear right now. Real love pushes me out of my comfort and strives to make me exactly who God made me to be. Real love pushes me towards my purpose. Real love fills my life with meaning. Real love is not just some whimsical feeling. It's deep and necessary and fulfilling and sometimes heavy, real love. And what Jesus has for you is real love. It's the kind of love that's vulnerable, intense, sometimes it's even a little crazy. What he has for you is perfect love. And while love can be messy, it is so necessary. And it's a key to living how God designed you to live and experiencing the fulfillment that he has for you. So Jesus here, while it may have been uncomfortable for Peter and the crew to hear, while they may not have liked what he was doing, he is simply and plainly preparing them for what they are going to have to walk through and drawing their focus to what is most important because he loves them. He's caring for the essence of their lives, their souls. And your soul is the most important part about you. Your soul is eternal. Your soul does not fade with your body, and it does not end with life here on this planet. So Jesus, he's 
laying it on them because he loves them and he's preparing them. And there are going to be difficult days ahead when he goes to the cross, they're not going to understand it. Filled with pain and fear and confusion. They're going to question everything. They're going to doubt some stuff. They're going to really struggle. And Jesus is preparing them for it. And there's like three keys in here I want to hit. And the first key, remember, it may sound harsh, but anticipate the love that God has for you in these words. The first key is deny yourself. Now, denying yourself does not mean abandoning your identity God wants you to understand your true identity. He wants you to know how absolutely loved and precious and valuable your life is. He wants you to have your identity rooted in him and his unconditional, his unfailing, his ever-present love for you. That's why in Zephaniah he says he delights in you. It's in Romans, nothing can separate you from that love. Ephesians 1, it talks all about who you are to him. Like it's just full, it's full of your identity. Denying yourself does not mean abandoning your identity. It does not mean abandoning your individuality. God is the one who designed you unique with a purpose. He's the one who made you who you are. Takes great pride in that there's only one of you. And I don't care if you got six doppelgangers out there. They're not you. You are you. Unique, important, valuable and full of purpose and meaning. Denying yourself does not mean abandoning your individuality. It definitely does not mean abandoning your self-worth. Those things are all super important. Denying yourself means abandoning selfishness. It means abandoning the idea that you are the center of your world. It's super hard in a broken system that is constantly throwing you values that are contradictory to this value that Christ is calling you to when he says deny yourself. See, the values we get from the broken system out there around only leads to brokenness, and those values keep telling us that it's all about you, that you're the most important, that the world revolves around you and how you feel and What you should strive for in life is to get whatever you can out of this life and just enjoy it to the fullest and just make you the center of your life. But you know what happens when you live for you, your world, your life becomes very, very small. No one with great legacy or impact has lived a life focused on self. No one with large and full relationships has ever made themselves the center of their own world and forced everybody else to revolve around them. A a life lived with myself at the center of it becomes extremely lonely and isolating and empty and enough is never enough. It's a broken system. But the value that Jesus is saying is like, deny self. You weren't designed to be the center of your own universe. Your heart was not made for you to just seek whatever whim you feel in the moment. There's something bigger to live for that is understood when you can take self out of the center and replace it with God. 
Deny yourself. It means letting go of a life lived selfishly with yourself at the center of it. And it means living for something bigger than just you. The second thing he says, he says, deny yourself, and then he says, take up your cross. That's harsh sounding, so loving. Take up your cross. The, the people in Jesus' day had a different vision of the cross that we have now. Some of you wear crosses on your chest or in your ears or nose or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We'll just end it right there and just say, Say that we wear, we wear crosses, right? Like you have tattoos of crosses and you do that because the cross now for us is a symbol of victory. What was once a symbol of death and shame and burden and suffering is now a symbol of victory and rightly so. But back in Jesus's day, like they didn't have that full picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross for them. So there was less victory and there was more like defeat and shame and pain and suffering and death. That's how they... Viewed it. And Jesus is saying here, like, take up your cross, and it's a question of willingness. The first thing, denying self, means get yourself out of the center of your life and live for something bigger. The second one is, are you willing to take it up and follow Jesus for something greater? It's not always going to be easy, but it's worth it. Are you willing to endure some pain, some shame, some suffering, sometimes some, some. Like life will feel like death, like it says in Psalm 23. The burden, and by the way, his burden is easy. His yoke is light. I might have got those two backwards. Email somebody else and ask them. Like, right, like, <clears throat> it's not easy, but it's worth it. Are you willing? God's not gonna ask everything of you, but he will ask some stuff of you. Are you willing? God may not take the most important things in my life away, but am I willing to let him get his fingers into those parts of my heart? It may be difficult, disciples. You gotta take up your cross. You wanna follow Jesus, you gotta deny yourself and pick up that burden. Feel the weight and trust him when life is confusing and disappointing and hurts. It's a question of willingness. We have this added picture of the cross that means victory. So I'm, I'm, I'm changing this. I'm adding this in. It says this. It says, like, take up your cross as a symbol of suffering and death, but also we understand it as a symbol of victory. So I'm going to say, like, it's not going to be easy. It's always going to be worth it. And you, if you have placed your faith in this cross, you always have victory. I'm victorious. It's not going to be easy. It will be worth it. And no matter what, I will be victorious because of what Jesus has done for me and in my place. The third key here is, he says, follow me. Everybody's following something. And your life or someone, and your life will emulate what you follow. Like you're a student in school and you think that person is so cool and like they got all the clothes and they got the Nike, slick Nike Air Maxes and everybody seems to love them and they do this and they do that and they walk here and they, walk, and they sound like this and they say cool things like, man, that kid's got Riz and all of those other 
Like, and you, you know, you follow them, you, you start, your life will start to emulate them. Next thing you know, you'll look like them, you'll start dressing like them, you'll start acting like them, because we emulate what we follow. You emulate, you follow broke, uh, you know, like, I wanted to say bobbleheads. Maybe I should have said bobbleheads. I, I meant to say talking heads, right? Like, you, you're like, whatever side of the talking head aisle you want to, like, what's going to happen to you, right? Like, if you, if you just follow them, and, and they're the voices that you kind of, like, listen to and just do, and what you're going to start doing is you're just going to become one of those people who just regurgitates. You, you'll fall for, like, the clickbait thing, right? Like, they're just trying to get views and attention most of the time in all of those headlines, right? But you, like, start following that, and next thing you know, like, you're, you're going to become extremely opinionated, and people aren't going to want to hang around you because who wants to hang around somebody who's just cynical about everything that ever happens, right? Like, you, your life starts to emulate who you follow, who you following, who you following. Don't follow some preacher. Don't follow some talking head. Don't follow some social media guru because they put up really slick, inspiring videos on TikTok every week. Don't, don't follow that because your life is going to emulate who you follow or what you follow. And Jesus' call here is saying, Follow me. Follow me. And your life will emulate Jesus. Jesus isn't lame. He's not out of touch. He's not boring. He's not weak. Like, I, the more I understand Jesus, the more I want my life to emulate him. Like, this is the Son of God, the Messiah, God in flesh, taking on all of humanity. So there's nothing that I ever will walk through that he does not completely understand and hasn't perfectly shown me how to walk through it. He says all the right things at all the right times. He loves big. He's courageous. Like, I want my life to emulate him. And God wants your life to emulate him, too. That's where true fulfillment and joy and purpose and meaning is found. So he says, deny yourself. Live for something bigger than you. Take up your cross, be willing, whatever. Whatever it means. And follow him. Your life is better in his hands. And the whole importance of it is found in the following verses, right? Like, it's, this is so important because your soul is the most important thing about you. And you gain your life in losing it. It's so important because the harder you hold on to things, the easier they slip from you. And some of you have been squeezing the life out of your life and you need to loosen your grip and what you want to happen and just offer it to Jesus and desire what he wants for you more. This is so important because not only is your life in better hands with Jesus, but your soul is the most important part about you and these days our souls have been taking a lot of shots this is so important because some of you have dreams. You should go for your dreams. Follow your dreams. Just hold them loosely. Because God is doing more than you can just see. 
And he will do more than you have asked from him, more than you could have imagined. Let's pray. God, help us to learn to anticipate your love in all your words, even when those words are difficult and heavy. We know, we trust, and we need to be better at understanding your character and your love for us. If there's anybody who has like just been gripping their lives and their hearts so hard, I pray that today would be the day where in faith they just kind of loosen their grip and say, God, I give you my life. It's a simple prayer. Call it a prayer of salvation. Call it whatever you want. A simple prayer. I say, God, I, I give you my life. I'm sorry for all the ways I have missed the mark. I trust you. I believe you demonstrated your love for me on that cross and died in my place. That you have raised again so that I have new hope and life eternal and here in you. We love you. We're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.